You're listening to the first episode of Exploring Boys Education, presented by the IBSC. We hope that this will be the first of many hosted conversations about boys' education. The IBSC recently released a statement available on our website in support of boys and boys' schools because recent publicized events globally have raised questions about the effectiveness of boys' schools teaching moral conduct, especially respect for women. In the conversation that follows, Ms. Sherry Rusher, who is the Dean of Faculty at St. Albans School in Washington, D.C., and an IBSC board member, speaks with clinical psychologist, author, speaker, and educational consultant, Dr. Adam Cox, about the positive role boys' schools play in the life of boys. Dr. Cox's latest work, Cracking the Boy Code, provides detailed strategies for connecting with boys from preschool to college. It is a helpful guide to the psychology of boys, providing critical guidance on boys' social and emotional priorities. Our hope is that the conversation that follows will give you some insights into the effectiveness and value of boys' schools. Sherry, over to you and Adam. Great. Well, hi, Adam. Um, I would always be uh, so excited to talk to you about boys and boys' schools, given your expertise and research. But um, this conversation has a particular urgency, given this gender reckoning uh, that has begun over the last year or so. So might we begin just talking about how boys' schools fit into this moment? It's a very important moment for uh, boys' schools, and I think it's an important moment for for boys themselves. And I think that's that's what we should remember: is that you know the lives of boys and how they're shaped is the ultimate. Uh, the, the ultimate result that we're we're looking for, and so I think that there there are times uh, in the life of groups and organizations where it might be appropriate to think of uh, a paradigm shift taking place, and I think that some of that is happening right now, and it it may be in response to some more kind of popular ideas about what uh, boy schools or even boyhood represents. And uh, the need to, or uh, you know, grapple with some of those myths and and present uh, in some cases an alternative narrative about what it is that boy schools are actually accomplishing and and what's taking place in boyhood as well. So, um, it to, in my view, uh, Sherry, one of the main things is to is to help people understand that what is happening in boy schools is not this more kind of regressive idea that we sometimes hear about, which is like kind of like what I would call a bubble culture, that uh, boys are living inside this bubble and that they're encouraged to stay inside this bubble because I don't think that that's in fact what is going on. I think that mm-hmm. something very different is going on, but we need to demonstrate that. Absolutely. Um, so I think one of the biggest challenges here, uh, boys are feeling understandably Um, under attack. They're certainly under scrutiny right now. And yet it's a time when we most want to engage them in conversation. Uh, So what are the most effective ways for uh, boys and for us as people who work with boys to learn, help them learn about healthy relationships and positive leadership and good citizenship and be able to engage and talk to each other, talk to girls, talk to women, uh, talk to adults? 
I think that the path to all of those things is is the path through authenticity. Because if we try to teach these kinds of moral values without uh, giving boys an opportunity to discover, you know, their own authentic voice and uh, to be free and in, in their thinking and to express their ideas, and we're putting the cart before the horse. It's just not going to work. So, and they know that they they always have a sense when there's something that is being kind of, you know, applied to them without their permission or without a sense that they have some role, some voice in how it's going to take shape. And so. If we if we find a way to give boys a chance to be more authentic in their their personal expression and their ideas and setting their priorities, all of those other things will come in line in a much more natural way. And how does one you've you've been in a lot of a lot of boys schools? How what are effective boys schools doing, either programmatically through setting up structure of the school? Uh, through setting up uh, the ways in which the day moves for boys, where where do you see the effective? Uh, so you talked about allowing them freedom, allowing them voice, allowing them the ability to have this sense of self control and control of their environment. How how do the good schools set that up? Well, one of the most important things, and this is interesting because it has a kind of corollary in the challenges that boys face developing social skills. So, for example, when you're working with boys who feel a kind of social paralysis and they they never know what to say, and they're often very self-conscious about wanting to be the smartest uh, person in the group or someone who's very witty, one of the things that, that I try to teach them is the importance of asking questions. Because when you ask questions, you draw other people closer to you. It makes people feel safe and feel connected with you. So learning to ask questions is one of the best ways for boys to feel more socially accomplished, to build a bigger social network, whatever it is that they are hoping to do. And I think the same thing applies in our relationship with boys and helping them to find their own sense of uh, their authentic selves is that we sometimes need to do less kind of talking and more kind of asking. We need to give them a forum where they can express themselves and we need to ask lots of questions that are posed in a, in a non-judgmental way so that they really can explore what is it, what it is that they're thinking and how that thinking has developed. And they can hear from other kids I think sometimes the most powerful pushback or the most powerful, uh, you know, uh, effect in modeling or, or shaping kids' uh, perspectives is the feedback of, of their peers, of course. So mm-hmm. I think posing some important questions and giving them a chance to really talk about those things is critical. I think that's more critical than things that we might do uh, structurally or, you know, naming a program or something like that. I think having some genuine forum for exchange is the is the main thing. Mm-hmm. No, that absolutely makes sense. Um, and I think the boys have this sense, you know, a strong sense that maybe they aren't being heard or they're being judged without being heard. And so I like I like that idea of simply pulling them into engaging in conversation about um, what what they're thinking, what's going on. How does one in a boys' school encourage empathy for others, particularly in this case, we're talking about healthy relationships and women, when you often don't have many women present in dialogue with them? Have you seen through you know, curriculum, through 
through what's what sort of exposure can one allow for boys that's, to acquire that kind of empathy for women? Well, I think that's a great question, and I, and that is one of the the big challenges because you know when you when you talk to boys about their experience of being in in boys' schools, and especially those that might have been in a co-educational school uh, previously, they, they talk about the advantages. They feel as though their natural way of learning, their way of moving, their way of just simply being in the world is more acknowledged, and there's less resistance to that. So all of that is kind of good, and it's very affirming for boys. At the same time, I think that there is a great value in boys hearing what it is that, you know, other people have to say about things. And, and sometimes I think, you know, I've, for many years, I've, I've advocated that boys ought to be listening to what, what girls might say, for example, mm-hmm. in a sister school, in a girl school, and just kind of, you know, participating and being active listeners, not necessarily asking questions, not providing a debate, but taking that in and then discussing amongst themselves what it is they've actually heard. Because I think we do need to be training boys to listen deeply. And there is a a skill involved in learning to listen deeply and to make sense of what you've heard. And so, you know, the more the more ex- exercise and uh, practice that boys get in something like that, uh, I think the better off that they'll be. Uh, absolutely. I could not agree more with that. I think what boys' schools do so well for boys, one of the things is to allow them to have that that comfort zone, to be vulnerable, to broaden really their emotional vocabulary and their own access to their emotions. And then that next step, of course, is is that that listening, that learning to give up the defense and just just listen and then process what what they've heard. I think that's an excellent suggestion. The uh, one of the things I think that a lot of schools are thinking about now is the there's been a, a sense particularly conveyed in the United States in media that there's one form of masculinity uh, taught, maybe a toxic masculinity. And how does one do best at accessing in a boys school? And then showing beyond the fact that many, many masculinities, many ways of being a man is maybe a better way to express that uh, are, are uh, discussed, are, are portrayed in boys' schools. How do you encourage boys both to see, I guess this is a two-part question, how do you encourage boys to see a lot of different ways of being a healthy man and also help convey to the outside world that we are not (laughs) presenting a singular vision of masculinity and certainly not a toxic one. Well, you know, in in the conversations that that I've had with boys and doing focus groups at boys schools, I find that they do have an appreciation that masculinity is a multidimensional concept and there are many faces of masculinity. There are many ways to be masculine. I don't think that boys are lacking an understanding or an appreciation of that. But Mm -hmm. I do think that they enjoy conversation and, uh, you know, discussion that brings that forward. I mean, even if you know those kinds of things in the back of your mind, it is immensely helpful to have them reinforced through public dialogue and discussion. And I think much of that goes on. I think teachers are good at articulating that. And I think that they encourage discussion around those kinds of things. I, I, you know, the, the, 
the transgressions that boys make are sometimes, you know, uh, very powerful when they get conveyed by media. And, and I, I think, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, there, there's a sense that, you know, if, if you think you know what's going on in a boys' school, you pay attention to just those examples of behavior mm-hmm. that reinforce what your belief is rather than the whole of what's going on. And mm-hmm. so my, my strong belief is that those transgressions that do occur are not caused by boys' schools, but in fact, boys' schools are the answer to that problem. Mm-hmm. They are the appropriate response to that problem because I agree with what you said earlier that there is encouragement about how to be vulnerable, how to be, uh, you know, vulnerable in a variety of ways within schools. And I think boys appreciate that. And I think that, you know, the, the culture of the boys' school helps them to kind of grapple with that and how it might be manifest in their own life. It has many different kinds of you know, uh, many different kinds of forms, but there is nothing so powerful at making that real and bringing it to the forefront as its discussion in everyday life. So it can't be limited to, you know, a slogan or a motto on the wall. It has to be something that is lived in the context of discussion. And that doesn't have to be just discussion about, you know, personal development, although those kinds of discussions are surely extremely helpful. It has to be also manifest in the discussion of literature and history and all other kinds of content that takes place in a school so that boys can understand that this, this has deep roots. I I like very much what you're talking about, which is this weaving weaving this in an organic way, in a natural way, through so much that the school does. And I think, I think boys' schools do this well, but being even more deliberate with that, though a day, a day devoted to is not going to be effective. It's the, it's the ongoing natural way of talking about this related to whether it's the news, whether it's to history, to literature, uh, or life at the school, very much so. I think that's that's really the key thing, and that's something that I've learned in you know uh, fifteen or so years of consulting is that because schools are already so busy with their programmatic obligations and because there are always just uh, many new ideas and things that they would like to incorporate, the most powerful way to incorporate ideas like this is to make them you know, just a a part of the normative school day and that this is Mm -hmm. kind of what we talk about. And in that regard, table setting is extremely important. So I think, you know, some some real emphasis on how the school year begins and or even how, you know, the, the early years of education a particular school begin and articulating what it is that, you know, the school hopes will be the outcome of the student's experience and then following through with that throughout the years. That becomes very important. And boys remember those things. They remember those principles that they've been told at those critical moments. And they might not tell you that they remember those things, but when you're sitting with them in small groups or one-on-one, they absolutely remember them. Mm-hmm. And Fee, much of what you're talking about today has to do with good communication. Boys communicating with one another, boys communicating with adults, boys listening and communicating with women. I was very struck in in reading your your um, cracking the boy code about you finding your ways to communicate so effectively with groups of boys, particularly those who might be more reticent to to speak. So could you just give a little? Uh, this would be the in a nutshell 
advice to teachers and possibly parents, those of us who are parents as well, about how best to engage individual boys and small groups of boys uh, in, in real meaningful discussion? Well, um, a couple of things. One of the things, and, and I think, you know, from a kind of a structural perspective, the most important thing is, is vocal tone because of all the signals that we send to kids, it's our vocal tone that is most powerful in establishing what our mindset is, how we're thinking, how we're feeling, what our priorities are. All of that comes through in a major way through our vocal tone. So being very conscious about your vocal tone. And of course, in my book, I recommend something uh, that over the years I've come to call task tone, which is almost <laughs> a, a way of re, re, you know, reducing emotionality in your voice and uh, being somewhat task oriented, which it might sound like, you know, you're being kind of uh, stern or uh, a little bit terse, but it's not that at all because there's almost a sense of respectfulness that comes through when you're using a kind of task tone and it's a kind of seriousness. And because, mm -hmm. you know, I know that in my clinical work, I'm working with a lot of boys who are spending hours a day on trivial amusement. And by that, I mean electronics. They are just wasting huge portions of their lives on electronics. And so their lives lack a degree of moral gravity. And so I have come to believe that the task tone, the way of, of shaping the atmosphere of communication, is one way of bringing some degree of seriousness and importance to what it is that we're talking about. And we might be talking about a relationship or how you're handling a conflict or how you're managing, um, you know, your... Uh, uh, intent to do better in school academically or whatever it might be, that kind of task tone becomes very important. And I think that we have to kind of embrace to some extent the drama of life, the important things that we're trying to accomplish and, and the fact that, you know, this is a critical moment. One of the things that strikes me about uh, recent weeks is we've all heard about the the college admissions scandal and how yes. you know how <laughs> the the great bias in, in this and, and and the the fact that kids are kind of you know unfairly getting admitted to schools and so that's uh, absolutely something important to pay attention to but doesn't it also shed light on the great drama of high school and how high school has become <laughs> this proving ground for things and how there's almost not a second chance I mean it's high school. So did anybody really fully understand or embrace the idea that what you're doing at 15, 16, and 17 is going to have such a powerful effect? And and it's so important that, that some people are willing to, to bribe coaches a half a million dollars to get into a school. So, I mean, it, it almost borders on the absurd. But if that's true, if high school is really that important, then shouldn't we be talking about the most important things at those years in life? And I think that we should. I think that we've left out some of the moral gravity that should be coming into kids' lives during those adolescent years that makes it so it's so important. For years, I have been writing about how kids find a sense of purpose or historically have found a sense of purpose during adolescence. And now, unfortunately, there's been a reduction so that adolescents become mostly about, you know, making sure that you have uh, satisfactory credentials to get to the next step in life. Well, I think it's about a lot more than that. No, absolutely. And it, what's, what's interesting, too, is that as much as students do spend time on frivolous and, and almost mindless activities on technology, I find them hungry to engage one-on-one -on -one or in groups in real conversation. If you can Thank carve you. that out, I think your, your tone 
um, issue is absolutely true because when when asked, when asked their opinion, when asked to engage with you, they they seek the guidance. They may not ask you, but you see that hunger to talk with each other because I think they do feel isolated by the technology. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on that and the technology issue with their moral grounding. Well, thank you for saying that, Sherry, because I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, we, we wring our hands and we worry and we say to ourselves, how should we steer kids away from the kind of trivial amusement of electronics and all of the time wasting as though that could somehow happen in a vacuum that we could mm-hmm. give some kind of moral argument that would convince them to power down. <laughs> and if, that will never happen. But you're mm-hmm. absolutely spot on when you say that when you provide an alternative, a way to in, engage a discussion or an activity, that, and, the, and one of the things that I learned from my kind of you know, two-year study with the IBSC, traveling and talking to boys, is that the scale of an activity is extremely important, and too often our scale is too small. We are not asking them to engage in problems or challenges that are big enough to really excite and engage them, and I think that's, you know, that has to be a a part of it is that if we make a distinction, and this is a critical distinction to make, between achievement and capability, that we will understand that you know, the achievement is more kind of pro forma. It's like, okay, well, I have to get a certain, uh, you know, grade point average to get into the university of my choice. But the thing that really engages me is a sense of capability and some mm-hmm. evidence, some proof of my capability and that I'm doing important things. And um, I think that, you know, kids are so much more sophisticated with every generation. We know that kids become more sophisticated, that their intellects are further developed, and that this generation, this coming generation, they want important things to do. And our best strategy in terms of turning kids away from forms of, you know, trivial uh, amusement and more toward, you know, significant accomplishments and capabilities to, is to engage them in big projects and to challenge them in significant ways to do things that might at first seem like they're almost beyond their capability, but mm. which are truly not if they, if they just have the opportunity to learn and to, to, to work through trial and error. And I think that's so important because one of the important aspects, I think, of boys' schools is learning to weave that leadership development at all levels of school activity and what you're talking about there of providing Something that, as you say, might even be a little beyond their reach is is what organically provides a sense of leadership, I think. Well, I agree with that. And, you know, in my conversations with boys, they understand that it is a high priority of their respective schools to develop leadership schools. But boys do say, where are the opportunities? They get Mm -hmm. the theory. They get the idea. But I think Mm -hmm. that they're looking for a greater you know, a variety of opportunities to express that leadership because one thing that we have to realize is that, you know, leadership also, you know, like like masculinity has many different faces. And there are some mm-hmm. kids who are naturally capable. We know that there are kids who are great leaders on athletic teams. They are sure. natural captains and they motivate and inspire other kids. 
But what about kids that are leading through their kind of, you know, know-how of a certain kind of thing? They know how to make certain things or mm-hmm. they understand systems or understand people or, under, or understand how people might uh, cooperate to accomplish particular things. I think that we need a lot more demonstration projects uh, in, in those areas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Adam, you have me even um, more excited about hearing uh, what you will talk to us about in in Montreal. I think this is just such a, a timely uh, topic, uh, talking about boys' schools and where where we are and and where um, where we can be. So, I really appreciate this chance to to talk with you and uh, look forward to hearing you in, in Montreal. Well, it was an absolute pleasure to talk with you as well, and I. Uh, I can't wait to see people in Montreal, and um, I know these conferences are always uh, terrifically, uh, you know, dynamic places. There's a lot of exchange of ideas, a lot of research being exchanged, so looking forward to it. What an incredible conversation. Thank you to you both for framing these issues so well. Thank you to Sherry for helping to set this conversation up and being such a wonderful host. Dr. Adam Cox. Thank you so much for being willing to share with us. It has only whet our appetite for your opening plenary session later this year at our annual conference in Montreal. If you haven't registered yet for the annual conference, make sure to do so on the IBSC website. Remember, the IBSC connects dedicated educators worldwide to discover the best learning practices for boys. Members join a coalition of professionals who are committed to advancing schools and the learning experience for boys. Please visit our website for more, www.theibsc.org. Until our next conversation, from me, Bruce Collins, and Exploring Boys Education, goodbye.